how can advisors and their clients begin to clear the murky waters of the pharmacy swamp? And where should they start? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. Every time we have a podcast and we talk about pharmacy and the ever-growing part of the overall healthcare spend for plans that pharmacy represents, we get emails saying, can you do some more shows about pharmacy? And it's getting more and more difficult to find folks who are doing really new and innovative things, but Shift Shaper finds them, and we've got one of those folks for you here today. Today, we're talking to Rob LeCuro. Rob is Vice President of Client Development at Scout RX Pharmacy Benefits Consultants and an expert in this field and doing some new and interesting things. And so we invited him to share that with us. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be joining you today and then discussing a little bit about uh, the pharmacy world and, and kind of our space in that environment. We appreciate it. So let's level set for the audience. What's the problem? I mean, we're talking a lot about transparency on some other medical costs, but pharmacy maybe seems to have lagged a little bit. Are there too many players? Is it too murky? Is it not straightforward enough? What's what's the problem as you guys see it? Yeah, I absolutely think that it's not just one of those things. It's really all of them. You know, for the past couple of years, we've been running our programs and, and our, our team and staff have, have worked kind of from all avenues of the pharmacy world, from the retail pharmacy setting, um, as pharmacist, from the PBM world, inside the carrier world. And we've really just learned that you know, over the past couple of years, uh, pharmacy benefit managers and, and working with them has become increasingly more challenging for groups and agents out there looking to provide a better solution for their clients. It really is getting hard to get them to do the right thing as far as being proactive and identifying and managing high-cost prescription drugs. There's a lot of what I like to call obfuscation, a lot of hiding fees, a lot of manipulating discounts for internal profitability. And what it really boils down to, at least in our opinion, is for far too long, the PBM world has really been focused on their own internal profitability and have gotten away from the idea that we're service organizations. Our job is to provide a service to a client and not so much focus on on the success of us internally in getting dollars after cents, but really providing a service and helping groups to manage their pharmacy and control and limit their costs. Do you think that part of the problem, at least maybe going back a year or two and maybe a little bit less today, is that folks until recently were paying largely with other people's money? And so it really wasn't a big deal. I mean, there, there's a lot more interest the last couple of years, obviously, in partially self-funded plans for small and mid-sized employers. Is that kind of forcing this change a little bit now that people can see behind the curtain? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely a factor. For for your bigger, larger corporations in America, those traditional, fully insured, you know, for lack of better words, big box solutions still work for them. But for your smaller to mid-sized companies, 
there is an avenue of approach where they can take back control of their spend and really dig into it and monitor it. I think one of the biggest problems that, that I identify is for so long, the culture has been taught that discount is the best catchword that's out there. Everybody's out there searching for the best discount. But the problem with that is in today's world, especially with the prices that we're seeing on these medications, that discount does not do anything to account for inflationary trend. So while you're out there searching for the best deal, so to speak, what's happening behind the scenes is that these drug manufacturers are increasingly raising the cost of these medications. So while getting a great discount may curb your spend a little bit or keep you from bleeding too much, it's really effectively doing nothing to lower or maintain your spend. Well, because it doesn't help if you bake the discount into the price. No. And then that's that's what a traditional PBM is going to do is, you know, they're going to come back and, and they're going to say, we're going to give you a, a bigger discount. However, what they're doing in the back end is manipulating that discount and playing with it to make it appear more advantageous than it is. On top of that, they're going to layer in a lot of these uh, ancillary service charges. Um, so your prior authorization fees, step therapy fees, appeals fees, implementation fees, a whole host of things that are you know written in the, the fine print, so to speak, that really are nickel and diming these groups terribly because they've they've played the shell game of, hey, look at this discount over here, but don't pay attention to what's going on over here. Right. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. So is some of the maybe catalyst for all of this new conversation that we're finally starting to have being driven by biologics and the cost of those drugs? Absolutely. I think it's really being the driving factor that we're looking at typically is specialty medications. They used to be a little more rare, a little more infrequent. However, you know, manufacturers have gotten wise to the fact that there are no alternatives. They own the patents on these drugs. They can pretty much control the market for the price. So they're continually inflating the cost of these medications. And you have some, you know, in the case of Humira, which is a very common drug that's prescribed quite frequently, that right now is looking at about $65,000 a year for one member for one medication for that drug. So as these drugs continue to rise, and the members are typically just paying a copay, they're not feeling the brunt of this, but the groups are. They're looking at that ever-rising price tag and going, there has got to be a better way. So when that, with that opportunity in the market, there was obviously people like our organization and others out there that really are trying to step in and fill a need where there's been a lack thereof traditionally. So how do you do that? I mean, what, what's that mechanism look like? I mean, we're all used to, you know, you've got a specialty pharmacy that your plan dictates, even probably if you're partially self-funded and you go to that specialty pharmacy and you get your drug and it is whatever it is. And maybe the manufacturer has a copay assistance plan, but- mm-hmm. What's the mechanism on your guys' side? I mean, how do you get that savings to the plan and to the patient? Absolutely. So you kind of touched on it a little bit there. What what we traditionally focus on, and you're going to see a lot of companies coming to market and quite a few that already have, that focus on what we call alternative funding options or alternative reimbursement options. These are programs that are put in place by the manufacturers. Everybody is kind of aware of that that program you mentioned. Uh, it's typically called a variable copay card where they take advantage of manufacturer incentives. And then what they will do, uh, there are also programs available called patient assistance programs. These are a little less publicly advertised, but these are foundation programs to cover medications at 100% of the cost for your specialty meds when a member doesn't get them through the plan. So there's a little bit of back and forth that needs to be done on plan design to make you eligible for programs like that. But what we and other companies like us are doing are trying to reach out to some of these programs, kind of reinvent the way that we're designing the benefit platform so that we can take advantage of these and provide you know, greatly needed assistance to not only the members, but you know more significantly the plans. 
when these first kind of came out into the market and, and for the most part today, what you're going to see is these programs or these organizations come on what is called as or referred to in the industry as a bolt-on program. So a third-party vendor that will come in and try to attach to an existing PBM to provide relief on some of these medications. What we're finding in the market and what we found recently is, is that is a good solution. There's nothing wrong with it per se. However, it does create a less than ideal scenario where there is a lot of disruption because you're at the mercy ultimately of the PBM for their cooperation. And as I said earlier, kind of the opening, it's been very challenging to get pharmacy benefit managers to play ball in that arena. As a lot of people do know, and maybe some don't, pharmacy benefit managers gain a lot of their money from pushing specialty medications through their own specialty pharmacies. So there's really no financial incentive for them to work with some of these alternative programs. So finding a company that or a provider that really has a tie-in with that PBM is really key. You know, that's what we've done. We've partnered with a PBM directly and simply relegated them to a processing role so that we have access to that adjudication system. So we can autonomously run our programs independently while offer also giving the group, you know, a pass-through model uh, as well. And that, that's just how we do it. There are plenty of other companies that are doing it their way as well, but really kind of combining, you know, a true pass-through to give you that transparency piece so the group is aware of what they're paying for at all times and what, you know, what's going on. They're getting all the discounts and rebates. And then marrying that with some of these alternative funding approaches is really the direction that we're seeing the market move for self-funded plans. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to be Sammy cynical, but mm-hmm. let's, let's go back to the variable copay card and the patient assistance plans. Sure. Doesn't that just, I mean, if I'm a listener, doesn't that just tell me there's still way the hell too much money floating around in the system that gets slushed around from one pocket to the other? Yeah, to be completely honest with you, there is. We are at the mercy of the manufacturers. It's their game. We're just playing in it. The only time that you're going to see any market change in that is through legislature. And to be quite honest, at least our opinion on that is, I'll believe it when I see it. A lot of that stuff is being talked about now, but I personally consider it a bit of saber rattling because we're in an election cycle. There's a lot of talk of change in reducing prescription prices, but we've yet to see any any real marketable solutions or plans of action that are going to do that. So that's where organizations such as myself and others, you know, really kind of step in to try to work the system to our advantage and put it back in the favor of the group and the plan itself. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. Are you entertaining any strategies? Like, I mean, you mentioned Humira, but Humira works mm-hmm. for some people and it doesn't work for other people. The same thing with a lot of those, those drugs, Tesla right. and, and, and those drugs. Are you employing any strategies like pharmacogenetic testing so that, A, 
a patient doesn't get a drug that won't be effective for them. And B, they don't have to go through that whole rigmarole of, well, let's try this, let's try that, let's try the next thing in the process blowing through 65 grand a year. Right. Typically, we really try to stay away from that a bit just for the methodology of we're not the doctors. We do have pharmacists on staff. And when there are egregious situations where we feel there's alternative avenues out there, we will engage the physician and the member and and work through those processes. However, our standpoint really has been that for far too long, the pharmacy benefit manager has inserted themselves in between the relationship between the patient and the physician. You know, we are not the doctors. What we do is, is we will monitor for price. We will get the medication. You know, we want the member to take the medication that the doctor prescribed without a lot of interference. Um, so we are a little different than what you're typically going to see, whereas we do not do prior authorization or step therapy. Uh, we find, you know, we ran, some of our staff ran prior auth departments for pharmacy benefit managers in the past. And one of the statistics that we really saw that really was kind of an eye-opener to us is that 90% plus of prior authorizations are ultimately approved. What you've essentially done is you've put in up to a two-week window where the member is really left in the lurch, kind of navigating that bureaucratic red tape. They're stressed out. There's a lot of calls back and forth. The member's, meanwhile, not taking the medication that's been prescribed for their disease state. So we felt that really wasn't our place to insert ourselves as far as what is being prescribed. Again, like I said, if it's an extreme situation, we will. Uh, we have pharmacists on staff that will intervene. But for the most part, we want to get the members the medication that they need at the quickest and most cheapest possible price for them in the plan. So if I'm a partially self-funded employer, which I presume is a space that you do a lot of work in, right? what do I start looking at first? Do I just go to the data and start identifying conditions or drug spend or fills or what? what's that process like when you start saying to an employer, hey, it doesn't have to be this expensive. We can mitigate some of those costs. Absolutely. So what we typically like to do is, is in a best case scenario, we're going to take a look at a claim, a 12-month claims file from the group. That gives us the, the ability to, to, one, identify the specialty users that they have on their plan. You know, is this a group that has a, a lot of exposure to specialty medications? When they do, you know, they, it can be up to, you know, only 2% of the scripts that are actually written on your plan, but they can account for up to 50% of the costs. So even if it is, you know, you may be sitting there as a group thinking, well, I've got one or two specialty users. You know, it's not that big of a problem. That's just these days is not the case. You, know, you could have one or two users that are taking up a huge bulk of your spend. So what we really do is we, at least in our organization, will do customized proposals where we'll look at your full claims file and we're going to identify not just your specialty drugs, but we also have solutions in place to reduce, dramatically reduce the cost that you're paying for your high cost brand name drugs and your high cost generics as well. Um, so in addition to those those specialty programs, those which will take 100% of the cost off the table, we use the variable copay for the specialty drugs and high-cost brand. Um, and then we also have an international pharmacy component that we've really built to be what we think is a best-in-class, compliant, and ethical process to really take advantage of the fact that prescription medications are much tightly, much more tightly regulated for price in Canada as they are in the United States. So it's really, you know, the best way for a group is for us to look at the data because really one solution doesn't work anymore. You know, just getting the best discount or going with a specialty program or going with a copay variable or just using an international component. One solution really isn't going to fit all groups. You really need to have a full suite of options that play off of each other to give that one kind of targeted solution to really maximize what you can do with the spend. I know in some of the conversations, Rob, that we've had around pharmacy, one of the issues that folks often deal with 
and I don't know if it's the same, I'd be curious to know if it's the same on specialty meds, is compliance. Are the folks who are in the specialty med patient side of the equation more compliant than your general population on other drugs? As far as uh, compliance with with taking their medication yeah. and staying on yeah. the treatment plan? Yeah. Generally, we do find that they are more compliant because what we've run into, uh, and, and I we had a perfect example of this in January of 2020, we had a member come on that had a specialty medication, and the name of the actual drug escapes me, but she had not been compliant with her treatment plan because she simply couldn't afford the copay for the medication. We were able to get that covered through a specialty assistance program, and the member was getting their medication sent directly to their door at no charge to them on a monthly basis. When you're getting your medication, you're not having to choose between taking your insulin or your heart medication or your specialty drug. It makes compliance much better for the member. So overall, um, you know, to come down to the brass tacks of it, Mm -hmm. on if there is such a thing anymore as an average group, and obviously that varies by size and credibility and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Initially, what kind of delta can they look for in spend on pharma? And then over time, um, how much better does it get? It really depends on the solution you take. You know, typically on average, if we're going to say, you know, a 500 life group, you know, probably around 300 employees, 500 total members, they typically are going to come in somewhere around the million dollar mark on spend or below, slightly below that. Um, We really don't average it out over size. We really, what we focus on is utilization. But what we see typically with running our programs, uh, and you're going to see similar, maybe not quite as, as, as significant or drastic depending on how many programs they're offering. But what we see with our clients is we are usually pretty successful at reducing their spend by about 43% net over the first 12 months. Then, you know, one of the things I do like to say is, is these alternative funding approaches, they are not one-stop solutions. They're not looking just to give you a good year. And then you're going to be kind of looking for evaluating your options again. These are programs that companies are offering that are built to reduce that spend. But because you're sourcing the savings outside of that traditional discount model, they're programs that are built to maintain that spend moving forward. Internally with our organization, our groups are experiencing uh, 90% of them are getting around low single digit trends in the subsequent years. And a lot of our groups are, are experiencing a negative trend where we've been able to identify additional savings opportunities and provide that insulated security blanket, so to speak, against oncoming specialty. You know, we're going to see probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 more specialty drugs within the next 14 months. So if you don't have a problem now, chances are you're going to in the future. That's a happy thought to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the the silver lining is there there are are folks like us and and other organizations out there that are willing to step in and help with that. Sure. it It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Now, do you get involved with employee communication at all? Because obviously, if we're talking about building employees who are more consumer oriented, there's got to be some kind of a dialogue or do you leave that to the employer? We, uh, at least personally, we find that to make these programs very successful, you have to engage an organization that is going to be very hands-on. Internally, we talk a lot about our concierge level of approach. With the patient assistance programs, we run that approval process on behalf of the member. As a pharmacy benefit provider, you can come to a group and say, I'm going to save you all of the money in the world, but if it's a disjointed and clunky member experience, it's not worth the paper that the plan's written on. 
you really need to have that advocacy level because these programs can be difficult. You can't simply just say to a member, hey, this program's available. Why don't you go enroll in it and see what you can do? Or, hey, there's a copay card out there. Go to the website, get it, take it to the pharmacy. They're not going to know how to apply it. When we talk to, to industry people, it's very easy to forget that you know we do this day in and day out. We know all the tips and tricks. The members don't. It's like trying to have a member do their own mortgage. They just don't understand it. It's Greek. So to make these programs effectively run, at least with us, we are very engaged with the members. With our international component, you know, we proactively reach out to the members, educate them on the program. We identify through claims review the opportunities to save so the member doesn't have to know, can I get this internationally? Can I not? We bring the opportunities to the member, facilitate the relationship. We run our copay optimization internally. We work with the specialty members. You know, other companies are doing this as well, too, but that really is the key to these alternative funding approaches is having knowledgeable experts and advocates that are there to hold the member's hand and walk them through the processes. That makes it a much more successful, much more seamless, much quieter program for the plan. Yeah, there's no question. If you want to effectuate long-term meaningful change, it's got to be members first. And that's a, a great place to end our conversation today. Rob LaCuro, thanks so much for being with us and for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. David, I appreciate it. I could have gone on for at least another 20 minutes, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and kind of kind of talk about the, the new shift in the market these days. That just means we'll have to have you back, and that would be our pleasure. Anytime. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. 